Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Well, 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 look who's come crawling back. Stay subscribed because I've got a great batch of episodes coming up, starting with today's one and what a guest. What a guest. Still haven't changed the music. Hello, you are very welcome to this episode of Fascinated. My guest today is none other than Pauline McLean, who was an absolute joy and a pleasure to interview. She really was. I met Pauline when she was actually really busy and really up against it for a writing deadline, but she was more than happy to come around to my place and record an episode and even sit drinking coffee and talking about the all-nighter that she was probably going to have to pull because she was actually out and about and not home tapping away on her computer. Now, when she arrived, I did something that you always do when somebody arrives in your home. I offered her a cup of tea. Without irony, without arm twisting, and then I absentmindedly made her a cup of coffee. Now, she was very gracious about the whole thing, but I couldn't help but wonder if she has had a single cup of tea without incident over the last 20 years. But as she said herself, there's no running from a catchphrase. Agawam, would you not have a drop? No, thanks anyway, Mrs. Doyle. I'm fine. No, really. I tell you what, Father, I pour a cup Pauline McLean is probably best known for her role in Father Ted. The show came to an untimely end, as you probably know, when Dermot Morgan passed away the day after rapping on Series 3. Since then, she has appeared in film, theatre, television series. Some of the ones you might remember are Threesome. In Father Figure, she was then Jason Byrne's mother. She was in Shameless. And one of my favourites was Jam in Jerusalem, which is actually written by Jennifer Saunders. Now, her latest role is Yvonne Cotton in EastEnders. And last year, she actually made her debut on the London stage in The Night of the Burning Pestle. Now, as well as being a fan of her work over the years, I've been lucky enough to meet Pauline many times. And she is one of those people that people just tend to gravitate to her because she's just really funny, really entertaining, a really good hostess. She's just, she's so chatty. And as you'll hear from the interview, she is fantastic company. Now, I should admit here, I don't really have to do anything in this interview. And you'll hear that yourself. In fact, if you listen closely, you'll actually hear me choking on a biscuit. That's how relaxed things were. I was actually eating a biscuit. And before you email me to ask what it was, it was a Fox's classic. You know those bars with the cream in the middle? And yes, you can still get them. Sorry. I'll get over it's myself very, now in a minute. It's very recording studio, isn't it's it? Fabulous. <laughs> you could put down a vocal. Lots <laughs> <laughs> some tracks. You realise you're not the first national treasure that has actually been in this spare room. Neve Cavanagh has sat in that very chair. Oh my God! Yeah, of the big voice. Sorry, um, I'm a Eurovision. Really? Oh, complete. I love Eurovision, and um, and hers is my favourite Irish winner ever. Really? Uh, yeah. 
in your eyes. Oh, I love it. I never would have put you for a Eurovision. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. And I'm like, for instance, completely in love with Conchita Wurst. Um, yes. She's, what a song. Yeah. What a voice. I know. What a gown. Why but he's not? beautiful you know, in both dreams. Oh, he and she is, they are fabulous. A stunner. <laughs> a stunner. Like nothing else. Um, you don't sing yourself. No, I don't. Um, I I like to think and to kid myself probably uh, that um, that I could hold a tune if I was asked to, but I'm not sure. I have such a flat speaking voice as well that I, I suspect that I have very much the same sort of singing voice, and I also have strangely a very soft singing voice, like you know, kind of frail sounding or something, or just you know, <laughs> You'll quiet. You'll grow into it, Polly. You'll grow you know, into it. I just need to be trained be in the, the ways yeah. of a diva. Um, I would love to be able to sing. I mean, I must say, of all the things uh, to be able to do, I'd, I'd give everything up to be I able know. to sing one song well. Oh. It's just, a, it's like a secret weapon, isn't it? It's fabulous. Although yeah. I have to say I hate a sing song. Oh, me too. Oh, that's like a fancy dress party. Yeah. Oh, I, I won't have anything to do with that There's at nothing all. worse when you're at a party and then you, you suddenly hear a shh. Mm, and then you know someone's being upset and they're going to sing about it <laughs> or if you see someone coming with a guitar oh I'm sorry yeah, turn like, them no. away at your door they she, the they have door. no place there yeah absolutely not <laughs> do you remember the first time you actually got a clap do you remember the first do you remember the first time you performed um I I'm not sure that I do I do remember things that I did when I was at um, primary school in Galway like I grew up in in the West of Ireland when there was nothing particularly in Galway or anywhere else and I went to the Mercy Convent primary and then secondary school and um, I know that my first role because I remember the wings very well and the tinsel oh, right. halo I played the Archangel Gabriel in a nativity play it was a big part very and good. I had a fabulous pair of wings that my mother made me my mother was very handy in that way and uh, and then the second part I ever played was one of the greatest roles of all time uh, I was Snow White in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and she made me a perfect replica of um, the, the you know the cartoon oh, Snow White wow. the Disney your mother made that cartoon one yeah um, there's a picture of it somewhere I even have the hairdo to go with it oh well, wow it was such a thrill so you know I started big on the part yeah, well you got yeah. well, second production you were the lead well, yeah, you know, and in fairness, I do seem to remember that I thought I was the lead in the first one as well, <laughs> even though Baby Jesus probably was a bigger part. I uh, actually did a nativity <laughs> play and uh, I played a sheep. Aww. I played a sheep and we were all told to have neck curtains on us, but my mother had a sheepskin rug because she was clearly a 70s diva. I don't know where the sheepskin rug came from, but I had a sheepskin rug on my back. <laughs> And it was held on with a belt. I remember oh, that, that is much. fabulous. And I was sweltering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I was the best sheep. Well, clearly, you know, best in breed, best in show. I, I, that's all you want at that stage. You know, the performance itself doesn't matter. It's all about the costume, I think. It, yeah. At a certain stage, early on, you know. Um, and I do remember at some stage, I did like um, doing those parts. And I seem to remi- remember my mother saying afterwards that people were nice about me, you know, like that they they thought oh, I was good very notices. good. Yeah, so, you know, the reviews were good, yeah. Even though it was word of mouth reviews. Um, so I, I may have gotten a taste for it then. My poor mother um, had to send me to elocution lessons in the beginning because uh, both herself and my father, who's who's since died, um, they were both from Sligo. And when I got to primary school, I had a Sligo accent that you could cut oh. with a knife. 
Now, uh, it's not a slag off the Sligo accent, but it is a particular and peculiar sing-songy sort of accent. It is. It's not and I was living in Galway. No, no, no. It just wouldn't do it at all. No. So I sent off to, I call it elocution, but it was speech and drama lessons. And, uh, but it was, you know, just to knock the, the edges off my, my accent. Um, and over the years, I suppose it all evolves, doesn't it? I mean, now I just have no accent whatsoever except a flat old Irish thing. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. A distinctly Irish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean... Ugh. And when you when you left, like when you were in school, did you decide, you know, it was the stage for you? Because you, you studied in Trinity uh, history and English. Yeah, that's right. It was history of art, actually, and, and English, modern English, Shakespeare onwards. Um, I seem to remember that those were the parameters anyway, of the yeah. course. <laughs> I didn't. I, was, I wasn't a great scholar. I was too busy having a very good time. You had a great time. Yeah, you, you I had lived great a very education. Good life. I did. Yes. I can't recommend it enough. And the best thing about going to Trinity was that it was a four year course. If I'd left after three years, I would have thought that they were the best years of my life and I would have hankered after them and whatnot. Whereas it was four years and we were already by then, you know, yeah. to, to leave and go out into the big bad world. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I suppose I I did know by the time I got to Trinity that I, I would like to try acting, certainly. Um, and there was no such thing as an acting course that you could take at the time. You know, there was no Gaiety School. There was no Lear Academy, none of that. And I mean, there was no money to go to England and study, even if you were yeah, taken on yeah. by Rada or Lambda or any of those uh, colleges. So I went off to Trinity and in the first week, in Freshers' Week, I uh, I joined the Drama Society and that was the beginning of the end then. I joined players and I spent most of my time at college in there building yeah. sets and so on, you know. And the first, do you remember the first play you, you were you well, with players? Weirdly enough now, um, when I went uh, off, I was more involved in the administration um, than I was about anything else. I, I did a lot of stage management and I, I became production manager for a load of things. And then I was the treasurer and the chairperson, um, you know, and I was very bossy because, of course, I thought I knew something then. You know, all you yeah. learn as you go older is that, you know, nothing. And, and less than that, actually. I know less than nothing. <laughs> I know that for sure. Um, so, uh, you know, at the time, I thought that I knew everything. And apparently I was um, I was very keen on very high necked blouses it was the new romantic time you know oh, so ruffles nice. and blouses and whatever and people would say if they saw me coming across the the you know the the front of trinity front square they'd say oh here she comes in appalling blouse and that meant trouble <laughs> that meant if i had appalling blouse on with a high neck or whatever that meant business <laughs> the uh, you know. didn't balance oh no it was kick ass and yeah. i'd say once you got a part then yeah. Did, um, did you just relax then? It was fine. Um, I, I actually, uh, when I joined first uh, in the Freshers Week, I, I was part of what was known as the Freshers Co-op, which was when everybody joined. It, it was their first play. There'd always be two uh, lunch times, you know, and uh, made up of all of the newbies in. And I did have a part in, in one of those, but then it just fell away and I, I didn't really do any acting until my third year. And uh, Mr. Martin Murphy um, uh, wrote... Uh, a version of the Trojan women because he had studied Greek he oh, proper yeah. brainy uh, boy and uh, he had studied Greek and he did a fabulous um, translation of of the Trojan women and I went in to talk to him about something else entirely and he thought I was auditioning but he forgot to ask me to read uh, for anything and then I saw my name on a cast list and it was only when we were doing rehearsals he went oh yeah I forgot to actually ask you to read that out loud I just thought you'd be right for this so so we went from there and um, and I did a lot of stuff with Lynn Parker who uh, afterwards uh, set up Rough Magic um, oh, yeah, so yeah. you know we we worked together from those days and in fact actually um, famously hated one another on site um, in student really? accommodation yeah hey 
hated one another and then ugh, we were thrown together set building and the like uh, in players and discovered yeah that, uh, that we got on we rubbed along quite ni- nicely um, so we eventually shared rooms and everything in Trinity that was great like we, we lived on campus and um, on the grounds that we needed to be close to the theatre to mind it um, uh, <laughs> of course you know yeah. yeah. so we, we lived all around the campus and <laughs> it was just uh, it was wonderful you know to live right in the middle of, of Dublin um, in one of the most gorgeous uh, universities ever and I went to the odd lecture and I always regretted that I didn't go to more because I, I majored in the history of art because I was genuinely interested in, in the history of art when I went and then I'd have to cram uh, but it was brilliant like I, I, I did really concentrate as much as I could for my finals and everything and even though I was only a very Midland scholar I got a 2-2 scraped a 2-2 I did actually pay well, well, good attention at the end, and um, I really enjoyed the course. So it was wasted on me, though. If I went back now, I'd get so much more out. You'd be of so it. absorbed. Oh yeah, I'd be a proper. I'd be a mature <coughs> student, but nonetheless a student properly paying attention. And when, when, when you left, when did you call yourself a pro? Like, when did you get your card? If you're actually younger? Well, when I um. Uh, left Trinity was 1983 and it was the last huge recession um, that we'd had and there were no jobs um, so nobody kind of turned a hair including bless them my parents who were very very onside the whole way through um, I said well look I'll give acting a try um, I, I mean I wasn't trained to do anything I couldn't get a job in a bank even if there yeah. was one going because uh, mathematics they elude me I must say even even using a calculator can go wrong <laughs> I don't know it's 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 more scientific than they say a calculator um, and uh, so you know I, I couldn't do anything I, I could hardly type um, and I had two half subjects I had you know English from Shakespeare onwards and um, and the history of art which I couldn't even teach in a secondary school because I couldn't teach practical art yeah. as well you know what I mean like yeah. there was no point getting the H dip or anything because um, there was nothing there was nothing doing there was nothing I, I could do so I yeah we fell into doing plays for the American tourists during the summer Thomas Dewey Yates and oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> thankfully I was never in one There's of them always somebody pushing a pram isn't there <laughs> well, <laughs> the Yates the was her, oh, I tell you we did more we'd do lunchtime ones you know and we'd we'd put a, a bowl of soup made out of a packet by hand out of a packet and a bit of bread and cheese um, for the tourists and if they ate at all then we had nothing to eat for the rest of the day because oh, we God. were so poor um, <laughs> and then at nights we'd put on an Ibsen or something you know like proper oh, as we thought um, but then you know when, when things evolved into um, rough magic and everything it was it was a really exciting time 1983 uh, onwards in Ireland for us because we were the only ones doing the new English and new American dramas as they were um, and that, that was really you know sort of like groundbreaking and, and exciting It's unusual though for your parents for parents to be so supportive like particularly in the middle of a recession Yeah Was there a history of Funny enough, no. I mean, my mother says I'm the first person in the family, in either family, to get paid for showing off. And uh, I understand that that's, <laughs> that is the truth. Like, would they have seen the funny side of you uh, as a child? Um, I think so. I think they always knew there was a bit of a show off there, um, funnily enough. Although I don't think I was 
too precocious about performing. I I was precocious in other ways. Like I thought I I thought I was it. You know, like nobody told me I wasn't. I learned that the hard way. Uh, you know, like that. Yeah, maybe not all that, Pauline Macklin. Um, but so you know, so I'd always keep them amused at home. And I remember I, my mother. Um, she'd tell me stories about um, when she went to college because uh, although I'm the first woman in my family to go to college, she, when we were at, um, she did a course up in the regional tech um, when we were at secondary school, an art and design course, which I suppose is where the, the you know, the interest in, in art came from. And um, so she'd come home with stories of her teachers and the other people on the course and I would do my impressions via her of what they were and I'd make her laugh and I remember making her laugh so hard one time that she nearly got sick. She had a little bit of sick on her card. <laughs> she did. Um, and I thought, oh, that's nice. That's a good, that's a good feeling. I, yes. You know, I, I mean, it's not great to make people vomit, but <laughs> it was time. great. Yeah, the laugh was good. Um, so, you know, when I left um, Trinity, Jerry Stembridge had been in UCD um, just ahead of when I was um, in Trinity and he was reviewing things for the Irish press, um, uh, at, which is now defunct. But he, he'd review all of the student productions and um, and he just he had an eye on me to to be going out playing with, you know, in, okay. in showbiz terms. Yeah. So he got a job in RTE and... Um, in the young people's section, <laughs> very, very irresponsible of RTE, really, when you think of it. But um, he was given his own show and uh, he wrote something called Nothing To It, which we did for a few seasons. And it was basically myself, Michael Murphy, the actor, and Veronica Coburn, um, who's the uh, actor and clown. Um, and uh, we played ourselves and everyone else in the series. And it was supposed to be an educational series. Um, uh, for young people so that say they wanted to become a journalist well, yeah. we'd, oh, we'd, okay. do a, we'd do an episode about journalism how, how you might get into that and then there'd be a discussion halfway through the programme you know about with people who wanted to be journalists or people who were journalists giving advice yeah. and of course the discussions got shorter and shorter as the drama <laughs> got bigger and bigger um, and indeed on the journalism programme a young Fiona Looney uh, came along to say that she wanted to be a journalist and uh, and we didn't even put her off uh, you know look, look what happened there but um, yeah, we we did it, and in the meantime, Dermot Morgan was sort of in his um in his uh, I suppose wilderness years um uh, with RTE. Like he he was kind of like born out of time. It was before you know this whole swathe and of of stand ups Irish stand ups um, yeah and of, of of comedy and, oh. a part <laughs> a swathe uh, of yours um, yes and alternative comedy you know and he was sort of like at the end of almost um, well the, the older style if you like almost um, you know just after music hall but just before the alternative comedians came along um, as they as they are so called and um, he spotted that we were up that we were sneaking a comedy in at six o'clock on a Monday between six and a half uh, six and a half six in the evening who are they (laughs) who let them do this he wanted to know so he he took down the names at the end of the roller one night and he rang Stenberg or got in touch with him and said look I've had an idea for um, a political satire review of the week um, for radio Uh, do you want to be part of it and that became Scrap Saturday and they went well we better get a woman in to play all the women of Ireland and that was me um, so there you go gratefully accepted yes, gratefully yes. Accepted. I shall do that thank you very that much be yeah. because Scrap Saturday is still 
I mean, it's still held up as, you know, the, the political satire of, you know, that, yeah, that and of that time, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, uh, Hall's Pictorial Weekly as it, uh, also had just um, been, you know, had sort of, um, it was a prelude to all of it, I suppose. And now there's Irish Pictorial Weekly, which is yeah. just brilliant, I think. And yeah. uh, so it's, you know, uh, there's a, a very noble tradition of every so often there'll be yeah, a show well, that comes along. It, it kind of sits in with the recession. You know, once yes. the recession comes, when everyone gets comfortable, like, oh, we don't need to attack anybody. <laughs> you yeah, know, but yeah. Once we start to feel the pinch again, it's like, <laughs> yeah, we need to pull like, this sword out. <laughs> let's start shouting, yeah. Um, but it was it was great fun, the Scrap Saturday stuff. Uh, you know, like, we heard that they were sending tapes of it out with the diplomatic bags every week out to, you know, <laughs> Moscow and Australia, wherever else. It was required listening for all the, uh, for the embassy staff. And that was a bit of a thrill. And then there's the, there's the lore of uh, it was cancelled with political leanings. Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, you know, uh, RTE just never asked for it back. Um, you know, we d- we did two um, seasons of it, and then they just didn't want any more. Yeah, would you believe it? it's it's the strangest thing about um, a load of of you know the most famous series are quite short. God. <laughs> yeah, but it was. I it was, thought that was. It just seemed like it was more of a staple. Yeah, when I say two seasons, I suppose I might mean over two years, yeah. you know, but obviously when the doll wasn't sitting, we, we didn't do programmes, oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of tied in with um, when they were when they were inside in Dáil Éireann. Um, so, yeah, what uh, the only time we resurrected it was when myself and Dermot were involved in Father Ted. And we knew that when you did radio comedy in London, a lot of the time you do it in front of a uh, live audience. Yeah. So when Today FM... Um, or it was was it Irish FM or something like that was called oh, in the beginning. Ireland FM. That's it. it. Yes, yeah. yeah. When it started off, um, to to kick it off, we did a live Scrap Saturday from uh, Andrews Lane Theatre, which was still there at the time, and uh, we we recorded it just ahead of it going out. But live, oh, wow. well, the lawyers were kind of really nervous, <laughs> just in case. So, um, yeah, they had time to listen to it and go, yeah, I don't think we'll be sued for any of that. Let it out. <laughs> but it was great to do it in front of a, a live audience. And that was the end of it then, you know, but it yeah. went out on a really a lovely kind of a, an experimental high. Yeah, I always think it's such a shame that actually in Ireland we don't do more of that uh, radio in front of a live audience. Yeah, because it's, it's wonderful. Like yeah. Colin Murphy doesn't so much of it up BBC North. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, or, you know, brilliant. comedy shows definitely. Um, you know, they they work really, really well with, um, you know, little comedy series and they get their own little followings and a yeah. whole lot of people who come along to all the recordings and it really does make a huge difference listening back to it as well, you know, yeah. to hear people laugh. And how soon after Scrap Saturday did you know obviously we have to talk about the, <laughs> the big elephant in the, the priest in the room <laughs> oh and indeed the housekeeper in the room the yeah. <laughs> you know you arrived yeah. and I was going to offer you a cup of tea and I was like yeah. it just, it's a terrible thing I to have a stigma a on for tea. the rest of your life <laughs> I know a catchphrase is a curse I would say that alright but I think I did well out of it because I mean uh, poor old Frank Kelly gets you know fake drink arson <laughs> girls shouted at him whereas I just get offered tea yeah, you know, it's not, it's too, not too bad. It's a gentling, and I do love a cup of tea, so that's that's great. Um, yeah, the Father Ted thing was, uh, it was a, it was a a good few years after we'd finished with um Scrap Saturday, all right. Yeah, but the the guys who wrote it um, um had knew of Dermot being Father Trendy, for instance. Yeah. You know, on on, on TV because he he did those brilliant things. Of, yeah. You know, he'd always interrupt a show and say, "Isn't life an awful lot like?" 
a cupboard and then he'd have some <laughs> tortured metaphor about how it's like a cupboard and um you know and it was all very heartfelt yeah. <laughs> and everything um uh, so they knew that he had this great priest in him uh, so they they wanted that he might be ted and apparently according to lore and i believe a recording exists of it and everything he did the worst reading ever for a part in the history of showbiz really? yeah and this was according to our first producer uh, jeffrey perkins who sadly is is dead now but um, yeah he said that it was the worst thing he'd ever seen in his whole life he got sent away um, and Stembridge I think fluffed him up a bit and uh, you know sent him back in with a bit of uh, acting tips going on and yeah whatever else and then clearly he was because you know nobody else could have been Ted I think that's the thing he's just Perfect, just Ted. But that's like the faulty terrorist thing, you know, that telegram that goes around every so often on the internet, and it was the first rejection of faulty terrorists about how it was yeah. a disaster and it would never work. Well, and... Jeffrey Perkins, who was um, the original producer who who said to the writers, Graham and Arthur, of Father Ted, he said, I don't think this is a once off, because they wrote it as um, a, a once off, an hour long special about a priest going back to Maynooth for a, fa- a class reunion. And Jeffrey read it and he thought, you know, I think this is a, this is a sitcom, this is a series. And that's when they started to write it in half hour batches. Um, but he left and became head of comedy at the BBC uh, of series comedy, not broken comedy as they call the okay. sketch shows, <laughs> yeah, but the, the other kind, the joined Yuppie, maybe, Joy I Yuppie. don't know, uh, comedy. And uh, the first thing he did was he took out the files on Faulty Terrace and everything, all the reviews, everything about for the first series were terrible. Really terrible. Wow. Everyone went, no way. There's no way this was ever going to come to anything. And that's now after they'd made it. That was after all the rejections in the beginning yeah. saying, no, this will never fly. Um, then they made it and everyone went, no. And of course it is maybe one of the, well, it is maybe the greatest yes. series ever made. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, it's it's incredibly funny. It's so heartening for anyone that's ever had a dodgy review. It's like, well. <laughs> oh, yeah. These, yeah. these couldn't have been worse. Wow. You know? <laughs> and when you were first approached for Father Ted, mm-hmm. did uh, Graham and Arthur did they have you in mind when they were writing Mrs Doyle or did you just no, go and read it was not it just... at all um, I was doing a show in the Abbey Theatre at the time it was a Hugh Leonard uh, show and I knew that there was uh, there was talk all around the town of all the other actors indeed all the other actors of the show <laughs> saying well I'm going into audition for this sitcom it's very funny and um, and Stembridge kept saying to them he said why are they not seeing Pauline for Mrs Doyle and they went too young too young too young and in the end, they couldn't find Mrs. Doyle. And I got called in when when the posse had moved on and gone back to London. Um, because normally when you went into audition, it was a whole bank of them, writers, producers, you know, the director, Declan Lowney, they were all there. Um, and they couldn't find a Mrs. Doyle. So I went in and I just read for a camera and, and the casting uh, uh, person, uh, um, it was the Hubbards who cast it. Uh, but I had had a really dodgy chicken sandwich the night before and I was just trying not to, to get sick all over everyone. And in fact, I nearly didn't go in because I knew I had a, a matinee to do as well as an evening okay. show. And I was going in in the morning to audition for this and I just thought, I'm too ill. I just, I can't do it. But I got myself out of bed and I went in. I'd say I looked a hundred. So that was good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't starts. look too young then I can tell you and I don't know having read it I just knew what was going on I, I just thought ah oh, yeah yeah I know what this is and yeah the call came very shortly afterwards um, don't cut your hair don't do anything we have a good feeling about this and um, 
I, I was just about to finish the show in the Abbey and I went off on a holiday um, with the then boyfriend to Barbados and when I came back with my tan I got off in <laughs> Shannon and I made a call I said am I supposed to go on location for this show uh, you know who's, so yeah I'm going to stay where you are someone will come in a car and collect you so I got into starts. a stranger's car <laughs> I got driven to the middle of, of County Clare and um and at that stage, nobody believed me that I hadn't read the series. Uh, they went, oh, yeah, funny, funny. And I went, no, no, really, I haven't. And we even arrived in London a week later and I still hadn't read it. Um, they thought I was joking. <laughs> so, in fact, we were well through the first um, week of rehearsals by the time they gave me all of the scripts. Um, so, I don't know, I was mad. <laughs> so you would no mad idea dead. what you were getting into? No, no, we, we thought it was funny, you know, but... Wasn't sure that anyone was going to notice it. I mean, it was Channel Four, six episodes. That's all. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, it it sort of it took off. It got a BAFTA in its first year, and, and that really then launched. People went, "Oh, hang on, funny thing over here." Um, before before the actual BAFTA nomination came in, did did you have any inkling, like you know, because obviously you you, you do six episodes or something yeah. before anything's aired. No, it got slagged off. Um, you know, particularly in the Irish press, um, they were saying, uh oh, well, look, at the laugh track is ridiculous. But that was actually a live audience because we did do it in front of a live audience in a studio. Um, but it was kind of like one of those things where uh, you know this well and, and it's even more nerdy when it comes to TV comedy, but an awful lot of the comedy uh, lads are nerds. Nerds! Yeah. And, uh, and we knew the nerds loved it, you know, the comedy anoraks. Um, but that didn't mean that, you know, the public were going yeah, to love it. Yeah, it to have been a broad know, comedy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but in fact, it did. And, and I think once people got the feeling that it was incredibly stupid and not meant to be anything else but that, but really funny and really stupid just everyone embraced it you know and and now it's huger than it ever was because you know kids start watching all the repeats like say when they're six yeah. or seven or whatever and they get something entirely different and if they love it enough they'll stay with it till till the end of their days you know yeah. so you're getting a new generation every year um of of viewers so it's it's a, it's huge and when it took off for you because you, i mean you won the british comedy award for mm. uh Best actress. Yeah, yeah, they are best actress. In the days when they would say, say best, you're not allowed to say best anymore. Oh, right. I think. Is that the way it is? Oh, yeah, and it the is. Oscar very, goes yeah, to, yeah, yeah. yeah, and the award goes to, yeah. Very correct. There's no, no best. Nobody feels bad about themselves. You, <laughs> but it you, wasn't my day. Yeah. yeah, you were the best. It says it on the yeah. thing, yeah. I'm surprised best. you even agreed to do this. <laughs> I mean, the response just should have been, I'm not going to somebody's spare room. Sweetie, I'm best no. actress. Yeah, thank you. Well, I should have brought the award and put it in front of you and say, what does that read? That <laughs> uh, was a good while ago, though. <laughs> but when that happens, I mean, that must be such a particularly for something. That, it must have been so quick because it was it wasn't it for season two. You won yeah, it. I think so. I'm I'm not sure really because you know we only did three series of Ted and Christmas special and that's it. So I think it comes to like twenty two episodes and a one hour special for Christmas. That's it. And, and when you it know? exploded for you, that must have been such a. Well, you know, it, it did happen like that. Um, I don't know anyone for whom it does, to be honest with you, happen like that. Like, yeah, I, I won the award, but, you know, I think people thought we spent an awful lot more time during the year doing it, number one. Yeah. And secondly, um, you know, I did, because I was, at the time, certainly uh, uh, younger than Mrs. Doyle. I'm not so yeah. sure anymore. I, I may have I may have hit exactly her age range now. But um, despite the fact that I'm only admitting to 38, you Dead know. But, sorry for whimpering there. But, anyway, um, but uh, you know, people 
um, if they were going to see me for something, number one, I had to get over the Irish thing. And secondly, thought that they were going to meet an older lady, you know, so I'd walk in yeah. and they'd go, oh, not quite what we were expecting, you know. So yeah. so it, it kind of didn't lead directly on to anything um, in that way. Um, and in fact, if anything, something like Ted ruins you, uh, I think, um, because you expect every script that you get to be as good as they were. Like, geez, these things will come in perfect. If you... F your effing wife. Oh, I don't know why they have to use language like that. I stick this effing pitchfork up your hole. Oh, that was another one. Oh, yes. I see what you mean, Mrs. Dawn. Bastard this and bastard that. You can't move for the bastards in her novels. It's one to all bastards. Is it, Mrs. Dawn? Anyway. You fecker, you bollocks. Get your bollocks out of my face. I'm just You know, they. I've never seen anything like them. Um, like the lads sometimes would cut a word here or there, and honestly, and they'd be right, um, you know. Yes. Or sometimes a scene mightn't make it, but it was only because the the show was too long. Um, you know, that would yeah. be all. And it was very rare they'd even get that wrong. You know, yeah. it was like extraordinary. Honestly, only the greatest fool in the world couldn't have been good in that show. It was that well written. Even if you just stood there and said the words with no effort you'd still, you know, be top of the world because it's it, it was just really that, that excellently done. And it kind of ruins you then, you know, because you just yeah. think nothing can be that good or that funny again. Do you, do you have a defining moment of the, like, when you look back at, at Ted, you kind of go, you know, this was the moment now that this was, that was it for me. I don't know, the because I seem to remember because it's, um like, for instance, um, uh, we're sitting here in your spare room and lovely it is <laughs> um, <laughs> you know in lovely Dublin a rainy Dublin uh, a rainy Thursday in Dublin and um, Dermot who is dead now um, he's been dead 17 years as of, as of the week for last you know like so yeah. it's 17 years since we even made the last episode because he yeah. died within 24 hours of that so um you know, I look back now and although it doesn't seem like it's 17 years um, and more since we were making it, it's like 20 years since we yeah. began it, if you like. Um, I look back and I think I wish I'd enjoyed it more because I was always so worried then, you know, about yeah. what would the next job be and would this be the end of it all? Would this be the last time, you know, I'd ever work? Now, obviously, every job is the last job you'll ever do, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're unemployable yeah. um, the older you get. <laughs> um, so, you know, I I understand all that. But at the time, I was so worried about stuff like that. I think I, I think it didn't allow me to enjoy it as much as I, I should have, you know, yeah. um, which is a shame, really. Yeah. But looking back now, I mean, I laugh like a drain anytime it's on, you know, and yeah. I've forgotten so much about it. I, I'll watch an episode and I'll go, oh, my God, all that happened in this one episode. And, you know, they were always new people to play with every week. So, you know, even if the Fab Four, as I used to like to call us, um, the, the priest and housekeeper, you know, like even if we were getting on one another's nerves, yeah, there were always new people to play with. So we never right. killed one another yeah. properly as a result. I, I, I was quite shocked actually today because I, I read up a bit on Ted today and I was so surprised to learn that Dermot was 45 when he died. Uh, yeah, he was just short of his 46th birthday, imagine. Because like I, I was a kid watching Incredible. that and I kind of thought... Yeah. He's yeah. an old man because he's got grey hair. Well, it was, yeah, and it was it was weird, you know, when, when he did die. Um, he lived um, out near Richmond in, um, or Twickenham Way, um, uh, in, in London. And it was a church there that he was brought to, you know, from the flat that he lived oh, yeah. in um, with Fiona and, and um, his youngest son at the time. And uh, 
and the priest was the image of Ted. I'm not oh kidding God. you. He had the same eyebrows, the same grey hair, the same manner. His hands were really similar to, to Dermot's. It was like it couldn't have been better, you know, in a way. <laughs> and we all um, flew back. Oh, he'd have gone mad if, he'd, if he uh, could have done anything about it. But um, we flew back. And in those days, um, Aer Lingus used to bring the coffins in the hold of the plane. And he was in the hold and we were all up the front of the plane having Bloody Marys. And it, going oh god he'd love this <laughs> you know <laughs> but he's in the hold he's in steerage oh it's like he's raging you know um but yeah so there were many grim fantastic moments about yeah you know, about his death um but yeah so very young that's incredible after i i have to talk about this because i think this is one of the best sitcoms ever made and anytime i suggest it to somebody they never know it but you you uh, started in jam in jerusalem oh yes the village green preservation society god save donald duck vaudeville and variety oh well the most stellar ladies yeah goddesses it's true it was it was one of those things where like it was a, a jennifer saunders um comedy that she wrote specifically for um for sue johnston yeah um uh, and she uh, herself and dawn had um had had me out to do just a little tiny thing on French and Saunders when they were uh, still doing it. It was kind of like their final, you know, hurrah yeah. for French and Saunders. Uh, that's Dawn French, by the way. I love the way I said Dawn. You know, Dawn. just like just my, my mate Dawn. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, must remember to call people by their proper name. Um, their full name. Yeah. But, um, uh, and they'd had me out and, and I think they realised they kind of had a live one because I was up for anything, you know. So she decided to introduce me to Sue to see if we could get on well and that then she would write me in as the best friend and, and we got on like a house on fire. And uh, and yeah, it became Jam in Jerusalem and it was just one of the best experiences of my whole life because uh, Jennifer uh, Saunders was in it herself. Uh, Joanna Lumley was in the first series. You know, Don French was in it. Sue Johnston, Maggie Steed. It's just so many was, people, yeah. you know. I mean, it was like incredible. Uh, the enjoyment and the way we, you know, the, the best thing about it, and I think that this is probably why I love it as much as I do, there were no egos on that show. Everyone was just thrilled to be out playing with everyone else. And as a result, it was the happiest cast, you know, that you could ever hope to work with. It was it was bizarre because you could describe it two ways. One, it was a homely sort of sitcom. And the, mm-hmm. on the other side, it was absolute lunacy. Yes. It was yeah. it, it was just so funny. Yeah, it was it was really yeah, one of the most wonderful times. And of course, like, you know, almost the opposite of getting the word perfect scripts from Graham and Arthur for Father Ted, Jennifer is is famous for just not writing it down. <laughs> you know, it's um they'd be begging her for a script saying, Look at it's just so we'll know what locations to go to. Like, We're going down to Devon to do our outdoor bits, please. You know, will you just Give tell us? Give us some Churchyard. Do, do I hear Anything? a churchyard? Yeah. Anyone? A walk on the moors? A ramble? How about that? You know, and it was uh, it was really just wonderful uh, time. And, you know, the, the ladies, um, I think we'd all in the morning get together again. You know, to I, yeah, it. I never understood why. Because that was axed, wasn't it? That got the axe. It was, yeah. Now, it, yeah, very deliberately was, was uh, got the axe. Uh, because, um... I don't know, you know, it's it's the way of, of TV, really. Sometimes it takes so long to get anything 
um, commissioned and made that sometimes the people who commissioned it in the first place have moved on and then you'll get somebody in thinking oh well new broom you know I'll okay. get rid of everything yeah. else that they they left to me and I'll start all my own stuff and you start at the beginning again okay. and it was kind of you know there was a cusp of things where they decided that they would um it, it, you know, it was it was many things really. It it had been scheduled really, really badly as well. It was almost like it was hidden in the schedule. Sometimes the first series they kept showing it on a different night at a different time each week, and it was like it could never, um, you know, properly bed in. And the second time out, they said they wanted um half hours, and then they wanted hour long episodes, and you yeah, know all the third sorts one of things. Was an hour, wasn't yeah, it? yeah, so they you know eventually got it to an hour, but we still had been making it as half hours, so it was okay. you know strangely disjointed um, so I think you know it had a lot of very practical things going against it but not the show itself which I, I think was a, a great thing but once it was axed um, a load of people that I knew on Facebook for instance um, were furious and I went right to the BBC do and they did yeah. and the BBC for once in their whole lives were so shocked that they actually issued a statement about why they had done wow. it, yeah, and they said that they were working on other projects with Jennifer and she got back and said, well, that's the first I've heard. <laughs> what are these projects, you know? So it was in the papers quite a bit, you oh, know, wow. um, yeah, where everyone was going on, oh, this won't do at all. Because it's interesting, in the last series of these, I interviewed Bernie Rosenzweig, who produced Cagney and Lacey, and the same thing happened with the viewers got in touch and actually bullied the networks into putting yeah. it back on the air. Mm-hmm. Which... Well, it's kind of like Ripper Street these days, which I love. Um, yeah. As you know, it it was axed by its um, uh, TV channel and now they're making it for the internet instead, you yeah. know, because there's a whole new way that people are watching TV now. There's also the, there was a series called Veronica Mars. Now, I don't know much about it, but the they axed it after the third season in the US and fans a few years later uh, crowdfunded to make a movie to wrap it up wow which is like that's a real yeah. shift in the power well sometimes you, know? you don't want to not know what happened <laughs> no, isn't yeah. it true you know you think we've got to have closure here <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. now you've always managed to straddle that fence between comedy and straight stuff and it's funny actually a few weeks ago uh, I was flicking through and came across a movie The Return that you did oh yes with yes, Julie yes, Walters yeah. that's right yeah. and it's interesting <laughs> because at the end of that movie uh, both you and her have a scene that is I mean, it's chewing up the scenery. It's like full on row. Yeah. You know, it's a big dramatic. It's mm-hmm. kind of the climax of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't help but look at that and go, God, that could have been yes. one of the most hilarious scenes. Well, <laughs> do you know, it's funny. I, I know the scene you mean, although I, I mean, I've only seen it once and I hardly yeah. remember anything about about doing that. Except that I do remember we stood in the front room of uh, a house in Sandy Mount where we were um, filming and the two of us looked at one another and said, well, it's the two tea ladies today. <laughs> but we were the only ones to say it. Like everyone else is like sort of creeping around the fact that Mrs. Overall and Mrs. Doyle were in the one room, you know. And of course, I was totally awestruck. And, um, yeah. you know, but we were the two tea ladies waiting to go to ta- Hammer and Tongs. And that was wonderful. It was, yeah, it was I mean, great. It, it, yeah. it is a great scene. And the... Well, she'd be one of the people, you know, you look at and you think, I want... That's what I'd love. You know, her career is just amazing because yeah. she can do all of the comedy stuff and she can also do all of the really straight stuff. And you just think that, please, yeah. can I have anything that she doesn't want to do? How about yeah. that? That would do fine. I'll, I'll take the, she, the leftovers. Yeah, yeah, she is amazing. Yeah. Like, I saw her in Acre Antiques, the musical, which was absolutely amazing. She was just fantastic. And there's an interesting link here because Graham Lennon has recently said that he thinks Father Ted could work as a musical. Yeah. 
yeah. What do you, what do you think of that? I, I saw because that. Because we were talking thing. about singing yeah, it. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably do a kind of, I always thought that the rap that the Fugees did, you know, one time when they were going like, uh, <laughs> um, they, I, that would be Mrs. Doyle's tea wrap, you know. Yeah. I said, "Will you have a cup of tea one time, because two time?" <laughs> and she just keep going. Um, but yeah, it would make a great musical. I think it it would be mad enough to be a musical, definitely. Um, but you look at you always hear that they're going to remake it in America, and I keep asking, "Who would you have as Mrs. Doyle?" And I said, "Well, if I'm not available, Whoopi Goldberg. How about yeah. that? You know, because I'd like it to be something quite different from exactly. me. If it's not going to yeah, be me, it's a, a different woman. Yeah. I think she'd be a great Mrs. Doyle." Yeah, she'd just be different. Recently, you've started. I keep saying recently. <laughs> You're just an ingenue. Yeah. That's what it is. Just starting out. Well, but, 38. Uh, what can I tell you? You were in the, the Globe at Christmas. Yes. That yes. must have been mm-hmm. amazing. Well, I um, finally got uh, properly onto a stage in London uh, last year, which was great. Um, uh, and it was, in fact, in the indoor theatre that they've now built at the Globe down in Southwark. So outdoors is Shakespeare's actual Globe, which uh, yeah. uh, rebuilt, not his actual one, but built just like he would have had it. And it's outdoors. So during badder weather, and I will say badder rather than worser <laughs> weather. But, you because know, it is the bad. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, there are no rules. Um, uh, you can make up any word you like. We're Irish. We do it all the time. Uh, but, um, it, you know, uh, during the summer, it's ideal for, you know, the, the big dramas. But they, in order that they could move indoors and do stuff indoors, they've built a candlelit theatre uh, based on what uh, theatres of that sort would have been like 400 years ago and it is just a jewel of a place it's it's just magnificent um, they have made it though so that there are equally as many bad seats in it as there would have been 400 years ago as well because right. a lot of the time people who go to the theatre to be seen to be at the theatre of course naff all to do with the play they were at but the one that we did do it's supposed to be on stage, but it's not. Uh, it's called The Night of the Burning Pestle. And um, it's just this romp, you know, that kind of covers everything. You can see everything in it. You see Monty Python, you can see Panto. You see, you know, there's rip-offs of Shakespeare all the way through it. It's it's just like really great fun. And it has some moving bits as well. Uh, but I must admit, I earned my money on that because... Um, uh, I was the citizen's wife. I, the, the wife and himself sit in the uh, audience interrupting and going, this isn't what we want at all. Oh, this show won't do. Oh, no. What we need here now is, and they keep asking for things and um, and their apprentice, Rafe, is the one who um, they send him up on stage to do what they think would make okay. this show much better. But it meant uh, three hours of every show sitting in the audience. Uh, just oh, wow. You know, there, was, there wasn't a moment when you were off. There was no rest, you know. And uh, the days when we do it, uh, a matinee as well, was six hours roaring oh, in a corset. <laughs> so, and yeah. It was I quite a spectacular costume. It was lovely, yes. It had very, very big uh, puff sleeves on it, yes. Uh, lovely. And a very jaunty hat, I yes, will say, yes. very jaunty. <laughs> the, um, and we've recently seen it as well in uh, On the Cobbles. Not the Cobbles. Oh, yes. Uh, um, EastEnders. Uh, EastEnders, yes, yes. There's a certain amount of cobbling up by cobbling. the up by the Queen Vic, yeah. Yeah, I mean, while I was doing um, the Night of the Burning Pestle the first time out, which was the beginning of last year, and we just resurrected it then for Christmas now and into the, this new year, um, because it, it went really well. But while I was doing it the first time, um, a call came through from East Enders, and I kind of didn't know how I felt about that. You know, I, yeah. I went up and I I read for the part uh, because um, you know I I very rarely just get offered something. You know, like yeah. sometimes it happens and that's lovely. Um, 
and and then other times you have to go up and you audition just Twice. like everyone else. <laughs> yeah, I fight with them and say, you really want me. And I went up and I thought, do they really want me though? Or do I really want this? It's like, would it not be weird joining it? But as it happens, uh, EastEnders is my favourite soap and I was joining the rather iconic family of the Cottons. So yeah. I just thought, oh, that would be quite nice. And for once, even though I was beyond in the England, I thought... Would it be good to be Irish in this because they very rarely have an Irish character. I think there was yeah. only once uh, more Liam O'Mwainley, I think, was a barman at one oh, stage really? in it many years ago. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's about it on the Irish. Um so yeah, I went up and I, I came back and told everyone at the show, I went back in to do the night of the burning pass. I said that went very badly. I won't I won't hear about that. And I went into the dressing room and got a phone call and came back and said, All right, I'm on the set on Monday. Apparently <laughs> I did get it, yeah. So um so I've done some, some stuff on East Andrews, yeah, and, and I loved it, I must say, because um, not only is it my favourite, but it, it was just, there's something about it. Um, it's an institution. Yeah, so. it is, and it was like, it was a nice part, and, and who knows, I may return, um, the, the rumour is that I will, um, for a, a short while. I, I don't think I want to be a lifer on it, I mean, they know that. Yeah. I prefer to just hop in and out and create a bit of havoc, um, that'd be lovely, you it's, know. I, I would Im- I would imagine that on a soap is it is it a pressure cooker like? Yeah, I thought that it was crazy. going to be more than it was. You know, I I was a bit afraid. I suppose that you know you might be stepping into a nest of vipers of some sort. You yeah. know, like that there is some people who are there so long that maybe, you know, yeah. they wouldn't welcome you or whatever. Not so at all. It was um, they were just wonderful and they work long hours and work really hard and fast. Um, so you know there was no time for a mess, and you just got on with it. And uh, and even the people who you might have thought, oh, are they a bit like their character? All you have to do is wait, wait for them to relax around you, and then you'll have a right laugh. Um, oh, so you, you know it was, it was great, and I must say it is the most beautiful set I've ever been on outdoors. All of the square and everything is just gorgeous. Um, just really, really beautiful. And we did some Christmas stuff as well, uh, which was weird because it was October. I kept going into the shops and thinking, why have they still got all of the Halloween stuff? And then thinking, oh, hang on. Yeah, it's not. It's only Christmas in Soapland. You know? And I find myself, you know, almost in trouble at home because I watched an episode with my sister-in-law and I'd forgotten that we, you know, were about six weeks ahead filming, you know. So we're sitting watching an episode and um, even though you get all sorts of emails saying, don't tell anyone what's going to happen. You can't do this, you can't do that. You know, I, we were sitting there and I said, my goodness, I said, Patrick got over that stroke very handy, didn't he? And she went, what stroke? Because it hadn't happened. <laughs> ah. So I've shut up about it since then, you know, because um, I also was around saying to people, oh, I might have killed Lucy Beale. And then I realised I might have because they hadn't told anyone, you know, I mean, I could have. Uh, so I had to shut up saying that as well in case I was giving away part of the plot. People get very protective of their soap. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Unravel at my pace. <laughs> I am a huge Fair City fan. Really? I, not a lot of people know that, but when they were celebrating, I think it was their 10th anniversary, um, I did a, a little interview. They were, do, you know, really? talking to fans. So I went on that. And Christy was my favourite character at that stage. No, he's dead. I can't oh, believe it. Rory Nolan, a friend of mine, let him die. Um, although he wasn't being Rory Nolan at the time, he was being whatever character he plays, Max or something like that. But anyway, he let Christy die. Dreadful question. What does the future hold? It, oh, say, if we were to project, indeed. if we were to project, 
like, yeah. Uh, well, you know, five years time, ten years time. Oh, is there something you know. haven't done that you want to do? Well, I discovered recently, I was talking to somebody about, uh, you know, um, various parts, you know, what, what would you like to do? And I discovered I, I really want to go to the dark side. I just want to be a villain, a really bad villain. You know, and like some of my favourite parts would be like... Uh, um, Mrs. Danvers in Rebecca or Nurse Ratchet in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or the Wicked Witch of the West and the Wizard of Oz. I mean, the baddies. They are the fabulous Nurse ones. Nurse Ratchet. I know, she's bad. You could do she? a Nurse Ratchet. Yeah. I mean, that's... No. Now, it's unlikely to happen because I think they, they've done it within living memory in both London and Dublin. But but okay. it's time will come again. Oh, and absolutely. And I feel I'd be available for that. <laughs> but yeah, the dark side. I'd love a go at yeah. some really bad events. Like the Hannibal Lecter of women. That's what I yes. want to be, you know. Somebody <laughs> bad indeed. Some awful. Over to the dark side. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. Mm. So. Well, funnily enough, um, I... Uh, the last grown-up book, if you like, that I, I wrote, um, I, I'm reluctant to call them adult books anymore because of Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> it's, it's a whole different uh, kettle of fish. Uh, but um, I, the last one I wrote was about three years ago and I kind of ran out of stories to tell. But I would like to try one now and I've been sort of like doing a bit of research for it as well. <laughs> That's the good bit, you know. Yeah. Oh, this is real research here. I better read this book. Um, but... Uh, I, I'd like to write one where you are, people are murdered in horrible ways and I don't know Something if I could do it but yeah I, I'd love to write it's a good thriller a, a good I don't think room. I have that um, total um, you know plotting bend that you need for you know the surprise ending but I bet there's help you can get with that oh, you know yeah. I mean I'm sure it's all it's all a bit scientific that yeah. end of it I can do the slice and dice yeah, exactly. somebody else can help me with the plotting you know? <laughs> and when you write uh, because you wrote uh, Leo Street wasn't it the... yeah the first few books were crime capers yeah because um, I love detective books and yeah. I love thrillers so th- the first ones were yeah I, I mean the thing about an Irish private detective is that you very rarely you know get to invest anything that's really incredibly bloody the, the cops yeah. do that you know yeah. um, so mostly it's insurance fraud or infidelity you know it's kind of like grey yeah. awful things <laughs> you know a bit bit yeah you're just snooping around really um, and ruining people's lives probably um, but uh, is that moving at all Oh, it is, yeah. Is it? Oh, God, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I just get nervous because... Oh, it is, yeah, sorry. It's, you know, just... Um, we should do it all again. Yeah. <laughs> but, do you remember the first time you performed? Yeah, yeah. I remember. It was very risky. Um, um, but, yeah, when... Uh, the first three books, yeah, uh, in the series about Leo Street, um, I was reminded of them today. I was getting a bus into town and it passed by Leo Street um, oh. off the North Circular Road, which is who she's not, she's named after that street. Um, but it, they were great fun. But I, I remember people sort of slagging them off, saying, "Well, you know, it's it's not really crime, is it?" And it wasn't. But it was as criminal as as Irish private detectives yeah. get to, you know, to investigate here. So I thought it was more realistic than you know than um, than anything else. Um, and then I moved on just to tell other stories, you know, in the books, the more standalone uh, novels. Um, so yeah, it would be nice to return to some sort of like killing and thrilling. Um, so I'd I'd quite like to try that. And um, I'm going on a very long tour of the UK soon with a show called East is East and um, 
uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that you know the towns that you go to that's the best time to get into local history and the whole lot that's where you'll find the books all about those um, like we're going to Torquay for instance I imagine that there'll be a load of Cornish uh, stuff down there you know like yeah, that I'll be sure. able to get because when we did Jam in Jerusalem in Devon I found out loads about um, local history in, in the part of Devon that we were staying in and I used a lot of it in a book called Missing You Already that had a woman minding her mother who had Alzheimer's and um, and you know she found things on her local allotment and tried to find out where had they come from you know the, the earth had coughed up some some little items and it was kind of like she also runs the lost and found in a train station so you know lost and found things um, including I suppose her mother um, you know yeah. who's becoming lost where um, you know there was all sort of tied up with that but I, I found out loads of stuff about the Napoleonic um, wars and the way that the officers the French officers were billeted around various bits of of the country and and Devon was part of it although I set the book in Norfolk um, so yeah it was like you know there are always interesting stories from all around so I'm hopeful that the tour will give me nice things to put well, into the book as well every town in the UK has a slasher sure uh, you'd have thought wouldn't yeah, you yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah there's a bad on everywhere <laughs> well Pauline McLean it's been an absolute pleasure thank, thank you, you so much thank you very much hooray thanks a million we're going to open a window now. This spare room's getting a bit... <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the hot air from us. Jeez. I don't know about you, but ever since I recorded that interview, I can't stop thinking of the idea of Pauline McLean as Nurse Ratchet in One Flow Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. And if there's a theatre producer listening to this, you are welcome. Pauline will be on tour in the UK later in the year with East is East. Her novels are on iTunes and for God's sake, go and watch those sitcoms. They're absolutely fantastic. If you want to get in touch with me, Garode at GaraudeFairly.com or you'll find me on Twitter. There'll be a new episode soon, so thanks for listening. here. I almost ended this podcast by saying there'll be a new episode soon so in the meantime, stay safe. Seriously. If I ever say anything like that, please send me an email and tell me to cop on. Also, if you have any ideas of how to finish this podcast, all I have is thanks for listening. Have a great weekend! That's it, I'm definitely putting this out on a Friday. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today.